0: I think the one thing where people fail when they set up an intel team is uh, measuring the effect that it is having, or talking to your stakeholders and evaluating if what you're doing is actually helping them make the organization more secure and again fred intel doesn't stand on itself like it's just a piece of information it's just an interesting report or just an an ioc in a feed if it isn't going anywhere it's not even if it is going anywhere and 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 someone reads your intel report and thinks hey this is really interesting but it doesn't allow them to be to do anything differently in their jobs to make the organization more secure then there's no point and it's a it's a failed investment
1: Welcome to another episode of Mandiant's Defenders Advantage podcast. I am your host, Luke McNamara. Joining me today, I have the privilege of welcoming on Renze Youngman, uh, Intelligence Advisor here at Mandiant Renze. Good to have you with us. Hopefully I did your your last name justice there in how I pronounced it.
0: You <laughs> did, Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk about
1: um, a blog that you authored. And this is sort of keeping with a theme that hopefully we'll do more of uh, this year, this episode will be coming out in 2024. But this is looking at not just, you know, the the threat actors, the campaigns that we track, the interesting research that we're doing, but also, I think, doing more to highlight Intel operationalization. This is something I think all organizations wrestle with, large, small, mature, immature. Um, and I think this blog that you wrote about the CTI process Hyperloop is a great example um, of some of that thought leadership uh, that, again, we're hoping to do more of uh, next year. But maybe just to kick us off, I think a lot of people will be familiar with the CTI process and the CTI lifecycle aspect, but not everyone. So could you kind of give us a quick description of what that is?
0: Sure. Yeah, the CTI process lifecycle, which is the basis of uh, what we're talking about in the blog and right? the CTI process Hyperloop. The process lifecycle is essentially the process that an analyst goes through when he does his cyber threat intelligence analysis, and it starts with, uh, it's it's, just, it's cyclical. So it starts with uh, planning and directions, understanding what it is that you're going to try to do, you know, what, what is your assignment essentially. And then you need to start collecting data to be able to do any analysis on, and that data needs to be stored somewhere and normalized, and then you move into an analysis phase And once you've done your analysis, you can start writing your reports in production. That's what that stage is called. And then after you've produced that report, you you disseminate it to the people that need to receive it. And that then leads to, I guess, increased insights or enhanced insights by the people that have commissioned that piece of research. And then their their requirements, their intel requirements are going to evolve because of that. And their planning and direction that they give you for your next assignments is going to be evolving as a result as well so that's that makes it cyclical so those are essentially a couple of stages that an analyst goes through on a, on a tactical level when, you know when he does his threat intel analysis it's not necessarily cyclical or or uh, it's not like you have to go to step two only once you've completely finished step one for example if like you've done collection and you move to analysis you find out during your analysis that you need to collect additional data then you can move back to collection okay so that's that's kind of what that's what that model does Now it's a very high level model and it's not something that people can actually use practically in their day-to-day analysis which is not something that you print out put on your desk and then look at okay i've done collection what should my next step be oh analysis that's not that's not how that works it's more of a high level framework on how threat intelligence in general works and it's not even that unique per se because it's 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 very similar to a, a plan do check act cycle, for example, that you see in, in business in general as well. It's just you, you 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 plan to do something, then you do it, and then you check if that's right, and then you sort of correct based on what your findings have been. So it's just, a lot of those models are not even very dissimilar. So it's it's not a very applicable model in a practical sense, but you can also deploy it on a more strategic level uh, where you, um, are, I guess, more of a programmatic level if you want to deploy a CTI program, a cyber threat intelligence program, uh, first you need to identify what that program even needs to do. So on on a more programmatic level, you could say, that's my planning and direction. My intel program needs to support detection and response, for example, in my security organization. Based on that, you can decide, okay, uh, I need to uh, improve detection and response with threat intelligence. That means that I need to have these type of sources in my collection and that means that I need to do this type of analysis uh, to be able to support that. So you can build your programs uh, essentially along the, the same cycle. So the interpretation of the CTI process lifecycle varies per person and per role as they, they look at it. So that's, those are, that's essentially what the CTI process lifecycle is. Just a very high level business flow almost of, uh, of what a threat intelligence program does.
1: And this, you know, the CTI lifecycle, this exists in pretty much all Intel domains, very classic, high level theoretical construct of how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you note, you have to kind of get down to the weeds of some of the particular applications, the context of what organization you're doing that in, what the mission is, I think for it to really have applicability. Um, I would also call out, uh, we did a episode a while back uh, with one of our colleagues, Jamie, that talked about the Intel requirements piece of that. So if anyone is interested in learning more about that, but maybe we could transition a little bit into how you take this concept of the CTI process lifecycle, again, mm-hmm. one that people, a lot of people in the the Intel space will be familiar with, and then expand that into the Hyperloop. Okay. Um, and I think... One thing here especially I really liked was this interplay between the tactical and strategic. Too often, sometimes we think about those as separate and distinct areas of focus um, within CTI programs. And so I liked how you kind of, you know, tie these in together. But yeah, just give us a, a rundown of, of the the Hyperloop aspect of this.
0: Yeah, so I think on, on a strategic level, we're kind of going to have to decide. And this is what the Hyperloop does. It, it takes those two interpretations of the process lifecycle. Uh, And it it creates essentially two of them and then links them together in a a kind of infinity symbol way. If you go to the blog post, you can see the graphic and and that's what it looks like. You've got strategic uh, requirements, essentially, driving tactical production. And that then feeds into strategic analysis, driving strategic uh, requirements as well. And the idea is that if you on a strategic or even programmatic level decide what you want your CTI program to do um, and which stakeholders they need to be able to uh, support, then you can uh, feed that those requirements to a more technical level. You need to decide that on a uh, on a programmatic level to then be able to execute those tactical or, or, or in, inform those those tactical workgroups. And you can have multiple of them as well. And all of those multiple tactical workflows. If you do that over time, if you stay, you spend three months uh, researching specific threats. All of, that, all of that data, all of that research, all of that analysis is going to enhance your understanding on a tactical level of what those threats are doing and how they work and, and to what extent you're prepared to deal with them as an organization and how your defenses are tuned to them as well. So all of that data that's being produced on a tactical level helps your strategic understanding of where the threat landscape is, uh, is moving, uh, how threats on the horizon are developing how your defenses are evolving as a, as a response to that as well. And how the threat landscape without your, um, your, your direct involvement, but on a general level is evolving around you as well. And that combined insight then can be analyzed on a more strategic level and be fed into more strategic level decision-making that then drives, again, those technical workflows. So, Just to take a step back, uh, Luke, if, if someone starts a threat intel team, Okay, say that you, uh, you're you an organization, you think, okay, I need to start doing threat intel because I'm not doing it yet, and I definitely want to enhance my uh, security posture, uh, make it intelligence driven, make it intelligence led, be more proactive. First thing you do is hire a uh, threat intel manager that's going to set up that team. That threat intel manager uh, is going to need direction. Okay, that He's going to need that planning and direction from his CISO, from his leadership. So he's going to go to the CISO and ask, or her CISO, and ask. What are your intel requirements? What do you want me to focus on? I cannot focus on everything because I end up focusing on nothing in particular and and I'm just going to do nothing really well. Uh, So what is it that you really want me to to do? And then obviously that CISO is going to say, I don't know, because that's what you are here for. I hired you to tell me what I should be afraid of, what my threats are. And that's that's fair. So usually the first thing a threat manager like that does is write a, a threat landscape report or a cyber threat profile. So that's the, the purpose of a threat profile like that is, and this ties into what you spoke to, uh, to Jamie about as well, Intel requirements driven approaches. Okay, that, that cyber threat profile is going to help uh, a CISO to make those decisions. Okay, so, okay, and, and that's what the purpose of that document is as well. That should help him decide, okay, I should probably be afraid of ransomware, for example. Everyone is afraid of ransomware. I should probably be afraid of cyber espionage from China. Okay, those could be the things, the what's that you're afraid of. It could also be, uh, if you're a financial institution, payment card fraud. Uh, If you are in oil and gas, OT-related threats. Those are the what's that you want to care about. But then you also have to decide, based on that same profile, who you're going to give the gift of threat intelligence. Who are the stakeholders in your organization that are going to benefit from that analysis? Is that your incident response team? is that your um, monitoring and detection team? It usually is the monitoring and detection team as a first stakeholder, just IOCs uh, to improve your detection and response. Uh, Is it your vulnerability management team to prioritize your your, uh, vulnerability passion, for example? Is it your security engineering team to focus on specific assets that they're going to want to protect? It could be any of those. It could be your fraud team. It could be your insider threat program. It doesn't really matter ultimately what threat intelligence does is provide information to those other teams so they can do their jobs better. If, if if no one uses the information, then if you're just writing reports, but no one actually is able to use those reports to be better at their security jobs, then it's just a the, the most interesting story during the morning standup maybe, but nothing more. And that's a waste of money. That's not why you're investing in cyber threat intelligence as an organization. So those two things is what uh, a CISO needs to decide before anything else. What am I going to focus on? What are the threats that I'm really concerned about? What are my Intel requirements? And on the other end, what are my production requirements? Who's going to receive that gift of Intel to be better at their jobs? And that then informs what the output should look like. Like, Should it be a feed of IOCs? Should it be a prioritized list of vulnerabilities to patch and how and why? Or should it be hunt mission playbooks? Those outcomes are really specific. If you know those two things, then you can fill in the blanks in between. If you want to focus on cyber espionage from China, you probably want to engage very specific vendors that know a lot about cyber espionage from China. Um, Or if you want to focus on ransomware, there are vendors that are really good in that. If you want to do brand protection, then vendors that are monitoring the cyber underground really, really well might be on the top of your list. Like your collection is based on the threats that you've identified as something that you care about. You can also, Decide what kind of skills you're going to need, what kind of technology you're going to need in, t- in your team, to be able to meet that mission of delivering those outputs to the teams that need that output. That's how you sort of build that 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 initial uh, capability you get based on uh, the information that you're getting from yeah uh, you know, out of that cyber threat profile. And then if you if you build out your program like that, and you've identified those those stakeholders and those almost intelligence surface lines, those those parallel tactical level surface lines that come out of that program design. Now you can start doing your tactical process lifecycle, essentially the the tactical part of the Hyperloop and spend some time doing that, evaluate how well that is going after a while and then uh, iteratively improve those processes, but also feed into your strategic level analysis of how the threat landscape is evolving and how your understanding of it and your ability to cope with it is evolving as well.
1: One of the things I really liked in in how you frame this um, you had a, a sentence in there where you talked somewhat about um, before you can define the process that the, the mission and the purpose of the CTI program has to also be defined and I think that's a, a subtle but important uh, distinction from Intel requirements because in some ways it kind of predates who you go gather Intel requirements from you know you reference like stakeholder analysis and And that's obviously going to be something that's going to feed your collection requirements and everything sort of downstream, all those other Intel activities. But I think even just defining what is the CTI program here for, it may seem somewhat obvious, but not always. And when you have, you know, maybe competing or different mission sets potentially to take on within the security function of the organization, understanding, and typically this again comes down from the CISO or whatever that hierarchy looks like. What is the CTI program really here to do? Who is it here to support with both those strategic and tactical asks? I think the definition of the program is maybe something we typically overlook when we think about that, but I think that's Absolutely. You know, very important.
0: Yeah. And so I work a lot with customers that are setting up a CTI program or ask us to come in to evaluate how uh, uh, how they're doing. And this is something that we almost always run into where people have not defines this. And what you end up with is a situation where they're trying to cover all bases at the same time. There's so many threats, not all of them are applicable to you. I I spoke to a CISO last week, and he he was telling me, I'm getting a lot of really great reports from my CTI team about vulnerabilities in uh, Cisco appliances. And they're fantastic. And they tell me exactly how to mitigate uh, those vulnerabilities, but I don't have any Cisco appliances in my environment, so they're they're of no use to me. And that sounds like a really dumb mistake to make, but you will be surprised how often that happens. There's, and it's 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 really difficult for an Intel team to understand the entire environment of an organization, a changing environment that they operate in of the organization. Also keep an eye on the threat landscape, all of the different facets of the threat landscape, and then also. Uh, be technical and analytical enough to actually make sense of it all and give the right information to the right people at the right time, at the right level of technicality and be able to learn from the feedback that they're getting and improve iteratively. That is an insanely difficult thing to do. So you need those boundaries. You need those parameters to to be effective to do this. And actually one thing, I, I used to work for the, the Dutch National high Crime Unit, the police unit. Um, and this is some, one of the things that I picked up. This is a really... Good police unit. They're really strong. They, they're they're really well known for their ability to combat cybercrime. One of the things that they did, and this was unique in the police at the time, was they manned their police team with fifty percent police investigators and fifty percent non-police technical analysts who understood cybercrime, um, um, but not on a police like you didn't go to police academy, but they 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 spent their lives behind computers. So bring those two worlds together. Uh, really allowed the National High-Tech Crime Unit of the Netherlands to be really effective in what they were doing. Take that concept out of the police and into a CTI team. You can apply the same concept. Uh, But uh, what you probably need to do is hire people from inside your organization that are from your stakeholder teams, maybe your vulnerability management team or your detection engineering team, uh, and combine those with people with an analytical background that maybe come from uh, a government organization that does analysis. Bring those two together. Uh, And and that can be, in organizations where we see uh, that happening, they are the most effective because you've got the people that know what the inside of the organization looks like, what the environment looks like, and what those stakeholders need to be effective, how that information needs to reach them, in what shape and format and level of technicality. And then there are the guys who actually know what the threat landscape looks like and how to do proper analysis on the evolving threat landscape. Bringing those two things together, that is really powerful. But in a lot of situations, you, you get either or. Uh, So if you bring in just external guys that know a lot about uh, threat intelligence, but don't know the organization, it is really, really difficult to make that information useful in the organization to find that they, the research is fantastic, but it's not applicable, it's not actionable. But if you bring guys in that are straight from the uh, uh, level two SOC analyst, for example, he knows a lot about the environment, but very often they get stuck in uh, researching low-key bot samples, for example, which is great work. And not, not a lot of people can actually do that piece apart pieces of malware like that, but it's not focusing on the right things at the right time and making that useful and actually making the organization safer. Bring those two domains together uh, can really be a powerful way to accelerate your Intel program.
1: Well, that touches on another piece that I think is important here uh, that you call out, which is capability building and capability development. Um, and a piece of that is skilling, having the right uh, resources, the right uh, skill sets uh, for the function, for the mission as defined. Uh, but it's also, you know, procurement of sources, data. And that's something you notice in, or you you call it in here is maybe we don't traditionally think of that as part of the, uh, as a standard step within the, the Intel lifecycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is something that is incredibly important, obviously, to the successful accomplishing of the mission. So, what if you could just talk about that a little bit of how you kind of see capability building, uh, where that fits into this piece?
0: Yes, you know, you're absolutely right. So it's it's not a part of the traditional life cycle uh, in that sense. Uh, so it's it's actually the only new bit that I've put in that hyperloop that wasn't uh, from the original life cycle. But it, you're absolutely right. It is really important because if you define what the program needs to do and eh, those business requirements. And you also understand uh, what the output needs to look like and what your key threat concerns are. Uh, You need to be able to set yourself up for success. So, and parameters like available budget, available headcount, required skills all play into that. This is is not an an Intel or even an analysis or a security question. This is just running a business. If you know what you need to deliver as an Intel business, you can set yourself up. For success by providing all the tools and the skills and the data that you need to actually deliver against that mission that's how simple it is we talked about this before if you if you're worried about ransomware then getting data in on ransomware from vendors that know a lot about ransomware makes a lot of sense then you're not going to focus on cyber espionage from china if that's not your concern that's not what you should be investing in you know, though That money is better spent buying technology that will integrate well with the technology that's going to defend your network against uh, ransomware attacks, your SIM and your SOAR, et cetera. So again, making sure that you're making the right investment decisions and being able to measure the effect that, that is having uh, beforehand is, is, I think, setting yourself up for success and also being being accountable and measurable for that success as well is important.
1: I think we've probably touched on it a couple of times here, um, but what are some of the areas of this that you've seen to be more challenging or difficult for organizations to implement? Something that they get you know, stuck in and, and struggle with uh, you know, actually putting into practice?
0: I think the one thing where people fail when they set up an Intel team is uh, measuring the effect that it is having or talking to your stakeholders and evaluating if what you're doing is actually helping them make the organization more secure. again, Fred Intel doesn't stand on itself. Like it's just a piece of information. It's just an interesting report or just an, an IOC in a feed. If it isn't going anywhere, it's not, even if it is going anywhere and, and, and someone reads your Intel report and thinks, Hey, this is really interesting, but it doesn't allow them to be, to do anything differently in their jobs to make the organization more secure, then there's no point. Then it's a, it's a failed investment. Making sure that you're working with your stakeholders daily to evaluate if what you're giving them is uh, is allowing them to be better. That's where everyone feels. Or if, if someone feels, it's probably there. And I think one of the best ways to address this, if, if, if you're as a security organization, if you're working with KPIs, key performance indicators across your security organizations, what's... Organizations will do is so what they will tell their Intel team to deliver X amounts of, uh, IOCs or X amount of, uh, playbooks or, you know, or, and then feed that into the appliances that they have, or give those reports to the teams that, that they, need. and that's their KPI. What if you turn it around and you tell your stakeholders to turn X amounts of Intel provided to them into detections and your engineer detection rules for a specific fed actor, because that is what the Intel. Is telling them to do. That suddenly makes that stakeholder responsible for using Fed Intel effectively. So now the stakeholder has an incentive to work with the Intel team to make sure that the intel he's getting is going to allow him to be better at his job. He needs to do this because it is his KPI. So it is in his interest to give that feedback, work with the CTI team, and make sure that the intel that he's getting is actually making him better at his job, allowing him to be. Uh, more effective within the security organization. Not a lot of organizations do this, like you very often, if a threat intel team isn't effective, you you, you end up in the situation where uh, the incident response team says, "Yeah, we, we kind of want to do work with the intel team, but what they're giving us is not really relevant, so we kind of do it ourselves." Okay, so that that's we, we run into that a lot of the time. So making them responsible for making sure the quality of the threat intel is actually at a level that they can use. I think it's a powerful way to uh, combat a, a sort of a stalling situation like that.
1: You um, you talk I think in, in here about you know the tactical typically being the first part of that hyperloop phase and then rolling into the strategic, which feeds back into the tactical. Have you seen examples where organizations have started with strategic uh, first and maybe issues, challenges, benefits from that? I think kind of to your point there, I mean, I've seen examples where maybe people are just trying to get an intel team up and you know up and running off the ground. And so mm-hmm. they'll do, you know, maybe the strategic piece uh first, things like uh, you know, pulling from OSINT reporting, but then it kind of has the challenge of not really tying into the tactical needs, as you just mentioned with like the IR team example. Mm-hmm. So I see like some benefits from that and some organizations doing that first, but it seems to also present a lot of challenges by not starting with the the tactical piece, even though it might be more challenging if your requirement uh it includes things like Getting access to certain internal data streams etc
0: mm, yeah no absolutely and so i think if you're if you're making that decision to formally set up an intel function then you're going to have to start with that uh, strategic uh, planning and direction and, you know that, that deciding what the program needs to do uh, understanding what the threat landscape looks like on the high level but very often once you get to that point you're already kind of doing threat intel organically uh, there, there will there will have been a soc analyst being bored and and doing his own analysis on threat actors that he thinks are relevant to the organization is tr- and, and just trying to pick apart the malware that he finds or exploring the, the infrastructure that they're using and, and building detections based on that. Or there'll be uh, someone in the vulnerability management team trying to find a way to how to prioritize uh, the vulnerabilities that they're patching based on the ones that are being exploited in the wild by bad guys that are probably going to attack their sector as well. So there will be some level of tactical level threat intelligence happening as it's grown organically out of those functions that kind of need that information to do their jobs anyway. Then you reach that point where you're going to formally set up a function and you're going to have a threat intel team and that's dedicated to threat intel. Then you really need to start on the top left there with with your planning and direction on a strategic level and really understand how you're going to set up that team, why it's there, who it's going to serve. And how you're going to measure success.
1: So I think we've covered a lot of the content that's in the blog, but there's still uh, a lot more. So we're gonna, you know, link to it uh, here in the show notes. But as we're wrapping up, just sort of any final thoughts on uh, this topic, and kind of you know some of the work that maybe didn't go into to the blog. Further ideas that you want to explore, maybe in future
0: blogs about this topic. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think in general, threat intelligence is, is sort of this mystical beast, right? That, and a lot of people have different ideas. If you ask 10 people what threat intelligence is, you, you can get 10 different answers. And a lot of people will think it, it's IOCs. Like it's a feed of IOCs that go into your your seam sword monitoring and detection application. And that's it. And they're not wrong. That's one use case of threat intel. But there are many, many other things that threat intel can do. Ultimately, at the end of the day, It is just information. It is a piece of research that someone has done to help other people in their jobs and make more informed decisions. And that can be anything. It doesn't have to be very, very technical. If if it's a uh, strategic understanding of of what security appliances are going to be most relevant in the next 12 months, and that helps a CISO make informed uh, investment decisions, hey, that that to me is, is intelligence as well. Maybe not threat intel, per se, but it's security research. And that can all come from the same function. I think uh, the word cyber threat intelligence it makes things sound more uh, mystical perhaps or more complicated than they necessarily need to be. It's just, if we look at this as, a, as, as simply being security research and just providing information to the people who need it, I think uh, we're a long way down the road in, in making this more accessible and more easy to understand and easy to, to work on for a lot of organizations.
1: Well, it's an excellent blog. Um, We'll link to it in the show notes uh, for folks who haven't read it yet or folks that, you know, want to go back and return to these. Uh, Again, I think some of these foundational principles are things that are worth revisiting from time to time um, in everyone's Intel organization function um, and evaluating how well you're doing, what things you want to change. So um, fantastic work on this, Renze, uh, as always. Um, We'll link to that in the show notes, as I mentioned. And uh, thank you and have a great day.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Luke. Enjoy it.